always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Switch your home to Sky Broadband today. See sky.ie for more. In news that nobody wants to hear, COVID is once again sweeping across the country. We're seeing more positive cases. We're also seeing more people registering positive antigen tests out there in the community. Cases have been on the rise since the end of May and, as usual, those cases are producing more hospital admissions. The HSE says it's very concerned about the rising number of people testing positive for COVID-19 in hospital. There were just over 600 confirmed cases in hospital this morning. The true scale of this new wave is almost impossible to determine because Ireland's mass testing system was dismantled months ago. We're not really going to know how many cases we have because we've got quite restricted PCR testing at the moment. We're doing about 5,000 a day, which is nowhere near what we were doing at the height of the pandemic. In the best case scenario, this wave will peak within a few weeks and then rapidly recede. What is certain, however, is that another wave won't be far behind. I'm Connor Pope and this is in the news from the Irish Times. Today, Just how concerned should we be about the summer COVID surge? Today I'm joined by Dr Gerald Barry, a virologist with UCD. Ger, I think many people, in fact I think everybody, would have hoped that we'd be done with COVID by now, between the vaccines and the summer weather. But we're not. So what has been driving infections in recent weeks? Is it the nature of the variant or is it our behaviour or is it both? The reality of this is that the the virus hasn't gone away, as we keep saying. Um, we kind of thought, yes, this, this might be a kind of a seasonal thing, possibly, and that we would have a scenario where during the summer, maybe the virus would, would go away a bit like influenza does, I suppose. But the reality of it is that, yes, it, it probably does reduce its ability to, I suppose, sweep through the population like we saw maybe in January. But it's such a transmissible virus. It moves so efficiently between people, unlike any other respiratory virus that we're used to, you know, in in terms of things like influenza, for example, um, that even though that ability to move between the po- uh, in the population is reduced, um, it's still more than capable of of infecting lots of people, even in the summertime. It's so transmissible particularly the the versions we're dealing with now, it probably has an R number in the region of 10, which is basically the if I get infected, how many people am I likely to infect? On average, we might, we're kind of estimating somewhere between 8 and 10 based on what we're seeing at the moment. During the summer, although that R number might reduce, it doesn't go below 1. And because it doesn't go below 1, that means every person that gets infected is likely to infect at least one more person, even in the summer. And that will keep the virus moving through the population. Now, you add in on top of that, then new variants and things, and and that creates a whole new issue for us. We know that in 2020 and 2021 that the testing regime that was in place in Ireland was really good. If you had symptoms, you went and you got your PCR test. And that meant that the, the health authorities knew to a greater or lesser degree how many people actually had covid But the testing system has kind of broken down and it's certainly not what it was. So does that mean we have any idea how many people actually have COVID in Ireland today? I don't think we have a a realistic number on it. I think we have a rough feel based on what's happening in our hospitals. You know, when we see a rise in the hospitals, that's a general reflection that, that we're seeing a rise in the general population because hospitals are testing most people that come in. 
But no, we don't have any accurate uh, handle on how many infections are happening currently. And th- and that's a shame for a number of reasons. Obviously, we, being able to track waves of infection is useful to, to plan, you know, to plan in the hospital, to plan kind of at the health system. But also from a, a sequencing point of view, it's very useful to be able to track people that are infected because it allows you to track new variants that might be emerging. And at the moment, we're completely blind to that and we're reliant on other countries to act as an early warning system for us because although we tend to think about variants popping up in places like South Africa it's actually just because they're doing a really brilliant job at tracking those things and doing a really great job in sequencing that we're unfortunately not really doing anymore to a large extent. I think that is a a challenge and of course people are antigen testing and in theory they can report that but there's no real incentive for people to report positive antigen tests anymore either. Um, So we are blind to that and we're kind of guessing a little bit about where we are and of course the other big challenge with that is if you don't have accurate numbers of infected people, it's very difficult to model what's going to happen. So during, you know, 2021, we became very used to fantastic modeling being done and predicting when waves would finish or when we would maybe see our next wave of infection. We're completely blind to that at the moment because you can't do accurate models based on information that you don't have. So that it creates a lot of uncertainty um, in what's happening currently in the country. And should we ramp up the testing regime again, do you think? I don't think that's going to happen, um, you know, probably politically to an extent, but economically as well. I don't think it's a, it's a viable, or at least what we're being told is it's not considered a viable option to ramp it up. I'm also not sure if currently based on, you know, the general feeling in the population that there will be an appetite to go and get tested, PCR testing anyway, on a mass scale the way we used to do it. Really, unless something dramatically changes with the virus, I don't see them ramping back up the PCR system the way we used to have it. I think economically it's just not going to work. And there's there's talk of late of an enhanced booster program being rolled out to the under 65s in the autumn. Do you think that's the answer or at least part of the answer to the relentless waves of the the virus that are washing over us? I think it seems to be at the moment. Yeah, until um, perhaps a vaccine comes out that blocks infection or perhaps a, a wider use of drugs that might reduce infection, I think really... I mean, there's a number of different things we could be doing, I suppose, to try and reduce our risk of infection. But the main piece of or the main tool we have really is the vaccine and so in the short term over the first few months after vaccination you do have a reduced risk of infection so coming into the winter where we would expect to see another wave of infection it probably makes sense to offer the booster to everyone and so that would ramp up your immune response again and help to get you through the winter or at least reduce your risk of infection and if you did get infected at least your immune system is kind of ready for it whereas if you think about it now potentially people would be coming into the winter having not had a booster since maybe before Christmas uh, of this year so they could be 12 months since a booster and if they hadn't had an infection during the year their immune system could be you know, relatively low. And so they could be very vulnerable to infection. So unfortunately, as a frontline defense, I think it's very likely that everyone will be offered a booster come the autumn in in, in anticipation of a large wave of infection um, around Christmas time coming into January. Do we know how effective the COVID vaccine is in protecting people from getting infection in the first place? I mean, do we have any hard data on that? 
I think the current uh, feeling is that beyond about three months, your protection against infection reduces down to close to zero. And and by zero, I mean you're back to kind of square one. Uh, you're as vulnerable to infection as as if you hadn't been vaccinated. And, but that varies per person. It depends on your initial immune response. So that probably varies between three and six months. So it's, you can't really put a definite figure on it. And even, you know, we have evidence of people being infected within weeks of, of vaccination. So that, that that's a kind of a moving beast to an extent. Now, because ultimately what's happening is when you get your vaccine, you get this really ramped up reaction in the body and your body gets chock block full of antibodies. And, and that's a really good frontline defense against uh, even infection. Um, but that reduces over time. And, and we haven't quite worked out how to maintain that, particularly in the upper respiratory tract and in the nasal passage and stuff. And that's where we want our immune system to remain strong and robust to try and create some sort of protection against infection. And in a way, when they were trialing these vaccines, they didn't really, I suppose the, the emphasis was on protecting people from ending up in hospital. The emphasis really wasn't on protecting against infection. That was seen as a kind of an, a bonus if it happened. But, you know, it was always, the trials were always about protecting people against severe disease. And the vaccines have done an amazing job at that. Now, the next level is, can we develop a vaccine that will actually neutralize the virus as soon as it comes into the nose? And so you don't even notice that it's coming into your nose because it gets neutralized so quickly. And, and how likely do you think that's, that is to happen? And when do you think it might happen that the virus could be neutralized before we even noticed we had it? So sterilizing immunity is a real challenge. Um, we don't really fully understand how to how to do that. And it's, I would say, still in development. I think there are a number of different projects I've read about and uh, seen that people are, are using lots of different kind of approaches, whether that's a nasal vaccine. So something like kids can get for the flu, for example, which would be a vaccine spray up the nose. And um, the theory would be that that might kind of target the immune response a bit more to the upper respiratory tract. Um, those kind of vaccines are in development. There's also other vaccines that would be your typical kind of injection into the arm, but with added oomph, let's say. So it would be maybe an increased dose or a more targeted dose that would target it more towards the upper respiratory tract. But these are all in development and nothing really has come to trial yet that has absolutely proved their ability to do that. The, the main one that'll probably come to market is, uh, well, at least Moderna are bringing one to trial at the moment, and initial trials seem very positive, is what's known as a, a bivalent vaccine. So it contains the current vaccine, which is against the Wuhan strain of the virus, but it also contains a second vaccine mixed in with it, which is um, targeting the spike of Omicron. So it's a mixed vaccine. And these kind of mixed vaccines are quite common, particularly for the flu, for example, where sometimes we might get three or four versions of the flu in the vaccine. So Moderna are bringing to trial now and seem to have really nice initial results, not against infection, I should stress, but against severe disease illness and increased protection compared to the vaccine we're currently using. So that's probably the next thing down the line. It may come before Christmas. It depends on, on regulators, probably. Beyond that, then, it's a little bit of a black box. We're not quite sure. Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% .9 reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, 
or swiping in the bathroom. <laughs> I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. And what about masks? I mean, should they become mandatory again or has that ship sailed? I think at this point for this wave, it has sailed. Yeah, I think I think it's important to stress that, look, a well-fitted mask will reduce your risk of infection. If everyone is wearing a mask, that generally will reduce the risk of infection. But I think we have a challenge in the population now at the moment that, that a certain proportion of the population will be quite resistant to wearing masks again. And and to suddenly turn around and, and require them or put a mandatory requirement for masks again could be quite challenging to, to, to bring people with you, I suppose, on that kind of a decision. I think one of the challenges really that we've had and, and probably one of the failings that we've had since probably since Christmas is that the messaging really around what's happening with the virus has reduced dramatically. And so a bit like you said at the start of this of this chat, I think a lot of people had the feeling that once we kind of got beyond that wave around Easter, that that was it and we were going to get through summer and all was good and we could kind of forget about it. But the reality is that, you know, this virus was always likely to come back during the summer. And so to tell people or to give the impression that the virus wasn't a problem anymore and to then suddenly turn around and ask people to put masks back on, they're in a way contradictory messages. And and I think you kind of lose people a little bit when you have that kind of a situation. I think really what I would have much preferred to see would have been like if any, anybody that was watching this properly saw this wave coming probably about six to eight weeks ago when it was picked up in South Africa initially and then started coming further north. And so it was very predictable that we were going to have this wave around the middle of June. And so I would have loved to see some sort of uh, health messaging in the build-up, maybe in May, basically telling people there's a wave of infection coming. People maybe should consider wearing masks again or consider changing their behaviour, depending on what they had coming up. So... Like, I would really be an advocate for some sort of risk rating system, a bit like we have for the weather forecast almost, whereby we can see a wave coming. It were four weeks out now, roughly, from it. So we're moving into a kind of an orange period where your risk of infection is increasing. If you have a major event coming up, such as a wedding, you might want to consider changing your behaviour. You might want to consider wearing a mask in crowded areas. You might want to consider doing more antigen tests so that you reduce your risk of disrupting whatever that major social event might be. And and so then we're now in a kind of a red period where any kind of socialising in, in large crowds is a risky thing to do because there's so much. And then as that wave dissipates, we go back to orange and we go back to like a yellow or a green type setting because maybe infections are reducing it. And I think by informing the population like that, you allow people to make their own informed choice about how they behave. So rather than then maybe having to bring in mandatory use of masks, you actually allow people to make their own decision based on all the information we can give them and based on their own choices to an extent. In a way, that might be more like living with this virus. It might be more like we're adjusting our lives to deal with these kind of waves of infection because these risky periods are going to keep coming, unfortunately, for the foreseeable future. One of the first places in Europe where we saw a big wave was Portugal. Is there anything we can learn from what's happening in Portugal? Like, are, are they on the downward crest of that wave already? Or do we know what's happening there? 
Yeah, we, they seem to be, yeah. So, again, every country is difficult to compare to because we all have slightly different regulations. And, of course, Portugal, the weather is slightly better, so maybe they're outdoors more. So basing our predictions of what's going to happen here exactly on what happened with Portugal is difficult. But I think we can get a rough feel for it. And and what happened in Portugal is, is that, yeah, they saw a rise in infection, but it was relatively short, three or four weeks, and it started to go down again. And and so if we follow that similar pattern, that would suggest that we're probably at the peak around now and it start and it will start to reduce coming into July. And in a way, it's kind of similar to what they saw in South Africa, where they saw a rise in infections. They didn't see a major rise in hospitalizations and the peak passed relatively quickly. Hopefully that's kind of the pattern that we'll see here in Ireland as well. We have seen that over the course of the, the pandemic, that the virus keeps mutating and the mutations have seemed to weaken the capacity of the virus to cause serious illness and death. But is there always a danger that the reverse could happen and that a mutation could occur that would actually make it a more dangerous virus? And how how on our guard do we have to be against that? Yeah, that's always a possibility. I think it's a, a, a misnomer or it's false to believe that viruses tend towards becoming milder over time. It's a relatively random process. As the virus evolves, new versions pop out. And if those new versions give the virus an advantage, then they will become the dominant variant that's circulating. Now, whether that is related to causing less or more disease is almost irrelevant for the virus. It's whatever gives it a benefit. And some of those benefits might be overcoming our immune system. Some benefits might be transmitting more efficiently between people. Dependence on disease is almost a a, a secondary thought for the virus. And so, yes, as much as there's a chance of a milder version coming out, there's equally a chance of a more severe version coming out. So you could have a scenario, for example, uh, one possibility would be the virus going back to Delta in terms of its ability to get into the lungs, but maintaining some of the other transmission advantages that Omicron has. You know, so you kind of have a mixture of super transmissible, but also an increased potential to cause disease. So I think that's a, a very real possibility. That's not to say it will happen, but it's something that we need to be watching for. And, and because it, it is to an extent a random process, how the virus evolves. And I think it's important to say as well, just for, uh, on this, Omicron is not necessarily a mild virus. I think it's important to stress that we've seen in populations that had Omicron or have Omicron currently, if they have low levels of vaccine, it still causes a lot of severe disease and hospitalization and death. So it's a combination maybe of the virus changing a little bit, but also that we have really high levels of vaccine in our population. That's what in a way is making it appear a milder version. Without the vaccine though, even if we had Omicron, we would be in a lockdown currently. We would be where we were in 2020. So one of the things that struck me, Gerald, when we were talking uh, just before Easter was you said that we would have these repeated waves and COVID wasn't really going anywhere. And that's not what people wanted to hear, obviously. But have you had any reason to be optimistic about the trajectory of the virus in the weeks, months and years ahead since we last spoke in the springtime? Throughout this whole thing, I've had waves of optimism um, and those waves have come crashing down, unfortunately, on numerous occasions. Um In terms of optimism, without doubt, the vaccine has been a huge plus. I think the fact that we're now looking at newer generations of vaccines is exciting. The fact that there's works in the background trying to look at ways of limiting infection or reducing infection. I think that's a a cause for for optimism. Without doubt, the, the rollout of antivirals such as Paxlovid, 
is a huge cause for optimism. Uh, you know, that's been widely used in a number of countries and, and seems to be highly effective. It hasn't been widely used in Ireland yet um, for whatever reason. And I suppose that's a, a little bit kind of confusing, but perhaps that will increase over time. I think that's something we need to watch. But I think my concerns are kind of tapering that a little bit because we're seeing more and more evidence of the long-term impact of infection. So things like long COVID, which is a kind of a, in a way, a kind of a throwaway term and a catch-all term for lots of different things. But more and more evidence is building to say that infection with this thing has the potential to cause long-term impact on people's health. And so while I'm optimistic in some senses, I'm also a little bit concerned about the fact that these multiple waves of infection are being judged in, in Ireland based on whether they have the potential to collapse our health system or not. And it appears from the outside looking in that as long as our health system is not going to collapse, then we're okay to have a wave of infection, which is kind of like what's happening in the country at the moment. We're not really responding aggressively to it. We're not really kind of uh, thinking about it too much on a kind of a government level or Department of Health level, at least publicly. And so there seems to be an acceptance that, yep, we're going to have waves of infection. Lots and lots of people are going to get infected, but it's okay because most of them won't end up in hospital. Whereas I would look at it a little bit differently and say, it's probably not a great thing to accept the fact that our population is going to be repeatedly infected, potentially a number of times each year. Because for one, the disruption that generally causes to people's lives, if you're getting, probably people can count on one hand the amount of times they had the flu and had to stay in bed for a few days. But, and that's through their whole lives. Whereas potentially with COVID, you're looking at once or twice a year having to stay in bed for a few days. And that's assuming you don't have any long-term impact. But I would, I would have concerns about what, what, what is that going to do to the general health of the population if we're repeatedly being infected by this virus? Are there things we could be doing in society at a kind of a policy level to try and reduce the burden of infection in the population? Things that won't have an impact on, on, on society in terms of things like lockdowns and stuff. We don't want to go anywhere near that. But are there other things we could be doing that basically acknowledges it's not a good thing to have an infection circulating regularly in the population. It's not a good thing for our population to be infected regularly by something that really we don't know the long-term impact of. What could we be doing to kind of try and limit that, I suppose, or at least not stop waves, because we're not going to stop waves, but at least reduce the peak so that less people get infected. The burden on my mind at the moment is the fact that, at least publicly, it doesn't seem to be an acknowledgement of that low-level impact that could potentially build. And there doesn't seem to be any efforts currently to try and really aggressively reduce those peaks of, of these waves that we're going to probably experience on a regular basis for the foreseeable future. So, you know, optimistic on one hand, but also a little bit concerned um, at the same time. Dr. Gerard Barry, thank you very much for talking to us. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the very near future. <laughs> Thanks, Connor.